0: Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA admissions podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, September 4th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going?
1: Very good, thank you, Graham.
0: So I should say happy Labor Day to all those who are celebrating in America. Um, by the time this airs, I will be back in Paris. So this is my last podcast recorded in the US for a little while, but it's been a it's been a fun summer over here. So very cool stuff.
1: Yeah, you, you've been over there all summer, right? Basically. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Very good. Very good.
0: Um, So what's going on in the NBA universe? I guess we're now, we're really into it with deadlines. And I did want to give you a plug. I know you've returned with the week ahead series. You know, It's like a column we run. Is it every Monday, Alex? Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So during the season, we run the week ahead just to alert folks of the upcoming week, which are the deadlines and, and what's going on. And this upcoming week is really the beginning of round one deadlines. Last week, yes, Cambridge Judge had a deadline and um, maybe there's one or two other uh, bits, but this week the heavy hitters are really sort of at the fore with Wharton and and Harvard um, have round one deadlines as well as um, a couple of early decision deadlines Mm -hmm. from um, Duke. And um and and Darden and London Business School has a round one deadline over over in my neck of the woods. So yeah. So think the ball is really starting to roll now for round one.
0: Definitely. And speaking of those early <laughs> deadlines, we had a really interesting question on LiveWire the other day from someone wondering like I guess Darden has this early action that's either binding or non-binding, depending on what you which box you tick. And, you know, they were kind of wondering what the exact difference is. And so I did a little digging for them. Um, And, you know, it turns out that if you're binding, basically what it comes down to is that you agree to withdraw other applications once you've been accepted and that you pay, I believe, a $6,000 deposit. It's non-refundable. If you're non-binding, you don't agree to withdraw other applications and you put down a $4,000 deposit coupled with a $2,000 deposit sometime in February. So... It's all these deposits. The, the question that the person was asking was, do I still lose the money if it's non-binding? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Any deposit you make to a business school, once you've been admitted, you're not getting back. I mean, that, unless you, you know, maybe if you don't show up and you have some health issue or whatever, maybe. But if you're withdrawing your app or, you know, going to another school, you don't see that money
1: back. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we, we know the big player in this space has <laughs> stopped this um, behavior, as, as you might want to call it, Columbia, because they used to be the early pioneers yeah. of these sorts of early decisions and binding. I've never been a fan of them. Mm. I understand them. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, um, I'm sure the schools have good reasons for doing it, but but, um, but but anyway, yeah. it's it's all good. Yeah. And if you pay a deposit, you don't get it back.
0: Right, <laughs> right. So anyway, we're off to the races with the deadlines. Uh, in terms of events, this Wednesday at noon Eastern, uh, we're doing one of our Real Humans Insights events where we're sitting down with current students. I think they're all second-year students uh, from Booth, NYU, Berkeley, and Yale SOM. So that'll be a lot of fun. It's kind of an Ask Me Anything format. You can sign up for that. By just going to bit.ly forward slash RH webinar five. It's actually the fifth Real Humans webinar we've done. Um, so it's RH webinar five, that's the number five, not spelled out. Um, in any event, join us for that. That should be a lot of fun. And then been, right after that, we kind of roll in, well, I guess it's in. I think it's the second week of September we kick off our essay series and that's really for people who are going to be writing their essays and either focused on late round one deadlines or, or round two. Um, and we're going to sit down over the course of three weeks with, um, the likes of Wharton, Columbia, Michigan, Yale, Duke, Dartmouth, Berkeley, Cornell, the list goes on. I'm not going to read it all. There are a lot of schools joining us. You can sign up for those events by going to bit.ly forward slash CA fall essays, all one word, all lowercase. So lots going on. Um, The events pace does not slow. We're we're really (laughs) doing a lot of virtual stuff. Uh, Other than that, we did published some good stuff on the website, including the Return of the Week Ahead series. So that, as Alex mentions, runs every Monday. We also caught up with two different admissions directors as a part of our continuing series of AdCom q Q&As. So the first person we caught up with was Lee Britton, and she's over at uh, University of Georgia, Terry School of Business. And she gave the following advice when it comes to essays. She said, don't fall into the trap of giving generic answers just because you think that's what we want to hear. It's better to be true to yourself and let your authentic voice shine through. Admission staff come across tons of similar responses. And if everyone sounds the same, it's hard for anyone to stand out. Always put your personal touch on your materials so that your application is memorable in a good way, of course. <laughs> so I think that's that's good advice about, you know, yeah, telling your
1: story kind of stuff. Yeah, I think I've always Business schools would offer that same advice: be authentic.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And then the other thing, um, we caught up with Justin Ayer, who is over at Boston College, uh, the Carroll School of Management there, and we did an, you know, AdCom Q and A with him. Again, these are on our website, and they're quite lengthy. You can read them. But one of the things I thought was cool, um, we always ask these uh, admissions directors to talk about courses in their program that are super popular, so they can, you know, share. I think they have to share two classes that. Um, people are really interested in. And so he mentioned, I, I thought you might like this, Alex. He said, data visualization is a popular MBA elective that teaches students how to effectively analyze data and present insights in a way that engagingly incorporates analytics and storytelling. So I, you know, I just think that's such a great course. And I, we didn't have that when I was at Wharton. Maybe it exists now, but as you know, like so important.
1: Yeah, yeah. And actually I recently read a book, that's what I love to do. Um, all the time called donor economics and one of the one of the premise that the author talks about is you know you can you can write all you want about you know the theories as to why we need to we need to protect the planet and do various good things but if you can visualize it um, using yeah some some form of visualization you get your point across much more effectively
0: yeah. Totally,
1: um, and we all know this. Yeah, um, but it was so so good to just hear um, the way that they talked about it in that book, and yeah, it, 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 having having classes on it is is fundamental, I think.
0: Yeah, I still think back to that amazing graphic that you had come up with about how kind of. Um how marketing works in this kind of new digital environment that we're in and you know the kind of free marketing um, theory that you had and all that so yeah
1: yeah Yeah, I still use that framework with some of my teaching I love it yeah Yeah. picture's worth a thousand words
0: Uh, one thing (laughs) speaking of words people have not been reviewing the show I'm a little disappointed like if you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts please um, drop us a review that's the only platform I can think of that is easy to kind of write reviews I know Spotify allowed you to rate the show as do many other platforms so please continue to rate the show. We see that happening everywhere. Um, but we love those reviews and kind of firsthand stories about what the podcast means to you and, and how you're listening, where you're listening, etc. So please do so. Um, you can also reach out to Alex and I by writing to info at clearedmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. So beyond that, Alex, is there anything else before we dive into this week's candidates?
1: No, let's kick on. All
0: right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So our first candidate this week is has 10 schools on the target list. Um, the schools are Berkeley, Columbia, Dartmouth, Duke, Michigan, Stern, UCLA, UNC, UVA Darden, and Yale. Um, and they wanna start next fall. So they're in the throes of, of putting together applications. Um, this person's pre-MBA career is very non-traditional. They actually have been in education and working you know, as an educator. Uh, they'd love to pivot and get into consulting. They mentioned Bain, BCG, and McKinsey. Uh, their numbers are a bit of a weakness here. They have a GRE of 299 and they have a GPA of 2.89. So both kind of below average at, at the very schools they've just listed off here as their targets. Um, they have three years of work experience. They're located on the east coast of the United States and I think they're pretty indifferent about where they land. Um, they mentioned in their notes that they say, you know, I have a low GPA and a low GRE, um, and they said that to offset those um, numbers, they've completed MBA math, and they did very well in that. They said they don't plan on retaking the GRE because they're applying in round one, and they're kind of in the middle of finishing and submitting apps. Uh, their major from undergrad was in social sciences, so no previous experience in quant with the exception of the fact that they've been working as a math teacher for a couple of years. They actually joined Teach for America, um, and then they also were awarded a Fulbright and have been teaching English abroad. So they have you know, a couple years Teach for America as a math teacher, and then a year teaching English abroad. That's kind of their work experience. Highly non-traditional. They're very well aware of that. Um, they do mention that they've held numerous board member roles and leadership positions, uh, I guess, in terms of volunteer-type work. Um, And they, you know, were very involved as a college student as well. Um, They say, I plan on only discussing involvement I've been in post-college since they're more significant and impactful. So, Alex, there's a lot to go over here, but I wanted to just first, you know, what's your initial assessment of this candidacy?
1: I really encourage them not to apply in round one. Yeah. Um, And, you know, Again, one thing we try to do with this podcast, as well as all the resources on Clear Admit, is to be very transparent and very upfront how the process works. Um, and, you know, sometimes when you do that, it's also delivering news that candidates don't want to hear.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but if if they take it on board and then respond to it, it may be helpful in the longer run. For this candidate, round two... The difference between applying round one and round two for this candidate will be, obviously, if they applied in round one, they would hear their news sooner. Um, But as a non-traditional candidate, um, they're certainly not going to be overrepresented. So so their chances of admissions in round two are going to be the same as their chances of admissions in round one if they had the same profile. What I'm suggesting is they delay everything to round two and really focus hard on retaking this GRE um, and pulling it up um, reasonably significantly quite frankly um, and And I want to want to sort of share a, an, a, an additional thought along this way. Um, there's no um, argument to be had in the admissions process saying I got a 299, GRE, but I have no quant background, and I know if I had some quant background, that score would be much higher, and therefore when I get into the MBA, I'll be able to improve rapidly.
0: <laughs> no,
1: yeah. Adcom is not going to buy that at all. They want proof prior to someone beginning the MBA, because the first quarter is very rigorous any of the programs on their target list, that first quarter is going to be very rigorous. They need folks that are ready Mm -hmm. for that level of rigor. So uh, I'm not saying that's exactly the the thinking of this candidate, but I sort of read between the lines that they sort of thinking, well, the 299 is not so bad if you consider the fact that I've had no quant sort of rigor um, thus far or something like that. Anyway, the point is... um, Yes, Teach for America, that could be perceived very well. they got a Fulbright scholarship to do some additional um, work abroad. Um, they, they're they on boards. They do lots of stuff in their out-of-work activity, which does actually sound really good. So let's assume all their non-traditional stuff really helps them stand out. That will have no impact and no way to elevate their um, academic profile their their, their their quant profile that really needs to be sorted yeah. before they apply Graham and, and I say this very sort of in a very straightforward fashion because I really don't want them to apply in round one
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think um, one of the things I did is I was thinking this candidacy from from another angle, which is, you know, let's remove the numbers for a second and focus on, you know, like you said, work experience and outside activities. And so, you know, if I'm giving them kind of grades for outside activities, it sounds like it's an A, you know, very active as an undergrad. I'd, I'd love to know more about that. And I do want to caveat that. I think they might be misguided about not sharing undergraduate activities in their applications. Many schools actually ask specifically for you to list your undergraduate activities. Um, and so, you know, obviously if they're writing an essay, maybe they focus on more recent activities, that's fine. But I, I would want the school to know all about all these activities if possible. Um, so that that part of their profile is strong. Work experience, highly non-traditional, but really cool. You know, Teach for America, Anna Fulbright, like this person's clearly sharp and, and has, you know, done some nice things. And so, you know, just with those two data points um, and the person saying, I want to pivot into consulting I say, wow, MBA is a great way to do that. Um, their years of work experience is definitely on the low end with just three years. Um, and what do we normally look for when someone has lower work experience? We look for stronger academics, right? So people who are getting in at a very young age, they're often the superstar academic types too, right? They have very high GPAs and test scores so that it's sort of like, you know, there's a little bit of a trade-off. You say, well, you know, less work experience, but man, the great numbers, let's bring them in. They're clearly a a high achiever and they're going to do well. But in this case, the numbers are, I mean, they really are kind of off the charts in the wrong direction, right? I mean, it's, and I, again, we're just trying to be frank here. The average GRE score at all the schools on their list is at least 320, if not 325. Um, And so, you know, they're way, way out of line there. And then the GPA, I mean, we talk over and over again on this show about, what's the only way to, to kind of get get by with a sub 3.0 GPA? Well, it's to have an outstanding test score and maybe to build an alternative transcript. Now, this person has taken MBA math, which helps, but I would have wanted to see, you know, take stats, take um, accounting, like take some courses, have them on a separate transcript with A's to demonstrate the readiness for these programs. So, yeah, I agree with you overall. They should be applying in the second round, if not maybe even next year after they've kind of worked to get the test score in line and to bolster their quantitative sort of portfolio. Um, I just worry they're gonna not land where they wanna land if anywhere this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Again, there does seem some real positives here. So we're not we we're not like dismissing the quality of some, so, some of the experience in, yeah. in the out, out of work activity and so on and so forth. But the the GPA and GRE combination um, is 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 going to be a real big hurdle for for them to, to overcome at this point. Yeah. And and one doesn't negate the other. You can have great work experience, um, um, but if if your if your academic profile um, doesn't reflect that, you would be a strong MBA candidate. You know that that's that's not going to not not really gonna help.
0: Yeah, so um, one last thing, you know, I, I think if, if this person, if this profile was posted on the site and was like, um, you know, 7.30, 3.5, I think we'd be saying, yeah, go, go for M7 kind of thing, right? So it really does make a big difference, um, for better or for worse. The academics matter. These are academic programs. They yeah. want people to yeah. survive, you know, so. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, I just listened to the convocation um, Speech from Peter Fader, who I'm a big fan of at Wharton, and you know people think of MBA programs about lots of different things, which they're all about. But he led off with the importance of the academics, and that's what they're there for. So, yeah. so, um, so yeah. No, um, again, lots of quality here, but there's a huge hole that they need to 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 really work out rigorously. And round two having worked at that will will increase their options this season. But as you say, maybe even maybe even next season's a better a better fit. Yeah. Um but, but so. yeah. Best All of right. luck to them.
0: Yeah, wanna thank them for their post. Sorry to be deliver you know the bearers of kind of bad news, but I think um, you know if they follow our advice I feel like they could have a road to a really great um, NBA experience. So yeah. um, best of luck to them. Let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number two. So this candidate also targeting fall of 24, um, they have five schools on the target list, and those schools are Berkeley, Duke, MIT, Kellogg, and UCLA Anderson. This person's had a pre-MBA career, which they would describe as having been in kind of analytics. Uh, They'd love to um, work in technology after business school, and they have companies like Apple, Microsoft, and Uber. Um, on the list. They have a GPA of five out of seven. Um, that's because they, they went to school in Chile at an engineering program, so I think the grading system's a little bit different there. Um, they have, uh, I think, actually closer to seven years of experience, and that's because, um, it, it, well, they're, they're 33, they have seven years of experience, and I know, Alex, you, you were trying to do the math on that, and they pointed out that the engineering degree in Chile is like a six-year degree, so they didn't really graduate until they were 25. Right. Um, They would love to to sort of land on the West Coast after business school, again, currently located in Chile. They did um, mention that they're applying in round two uh, and still working to prep the GMAT. That's why I haven't shared a score because they haven't taken it yet. They worked, um, they've had a number of different jobs, I guess, but they worked at Amazon for the last two and a half years. But they actually recently lost their job during the tech layoffs. And so it sounds like it's unclear what they've been doing since um, beyond preparing their kind of business school (laughs) applications. Um, They indicate, as far as their goals are concerned, that they want to just keep working in analytics and stay in the tech sector. Um, That's the ideal kind of plan. They're worried a bit about their age, 33, and their GPA, that five out of seven. And they wonder if that might play against them in in this uh, process. So Alex, what do you make of this candidate?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're prepping hard for the, for the GMAT, and that will be quite revealing, I think, in terms of where that sits. Um, they're, they're a little bit concerned about their GPA. Um, it's an engineering degree. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably quite a rigorous um, program, rigorous degree, it was a six-year program. Um, so I, I think more so this um, test score will be really important for them. Um, to sort of um, help mitigate what, what, whatever concern they might have with their GPA um, I imagine their work experience is pretty good um, like you say seven years I think they, they spent a year with a family business and then six years in tech lots on the analytics side most recently at um, most recently at Amazon um, Unfortunately they got laid off um, so I'd be quite curious. And I didn't ask this. I should have asked this when they were laid off. So they said join the, the, the tech layoffs. So I assume that's in the recent months. Yeah, probably
0: spring of, spring of this year, I think, or maybe winter.
1: Yeah, so that gives them three or four months. And, you know, what have they been doing since? They've been using that time to prepare their applications, get ready for, 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 for the tests and everything. Um, I think that's fine, but... I also think, so, So you know, <laughs> on the one hand, and actually our next candidate talks about taking a job after they were laid off, and we talk about that in a slightly different context. But in this context, if this candidate kn- knows that they want to go to business school next year, they get laid off, they probably don't want to do a job search at that time to start a job that they're planning to leave in six months, right? So I get why they wouldn't do that. But it might have been interesting to seek out maybe some volunteer work, um, some internship type work in the sector that they're targeting post MBA, or just something other than only focusing on getting ready for their applications. And, you know, if they listen to this, and I think I might have posted this on ApplyWire, if that's something they're thinking about in the back of their mind, just please go and volunteer or do something that shows that you're not only spending the time test prepping and yeah writing essays um, I think that'll be helpful um, because I think the candidate could be quite quite a strong candidate right engineering degree strong analytics um, experience sounds like they've been working on some some larger project projects that they've had to take ownership for so lots of career progression lots of um, leadership opportunity um, you know Ch- Chile is is not a not a necessarily overrepresented place, like, say, Latin Latin America, if they do come in with a high test score, we know that resonates well with ADCOM coming from that region of the world. Um, So there's potentially a lot to like here. I would like to see them been doing something else other than only prepping um, for for their MBA at this point.
0: Yeah. and, And actually, you're raising a really important kind of general admissions lesson here, which is you know, people get laid off and I think admissions committees totally understand that. And, you know, best to be frank about it in your optional essay, or in, in many cases, there's even a separate question in the application data form that says, you know, any extenuating circumstance or anything you wanna share about your work experience or gaps, what they call gaps in employment. So, but, but you're absolutely right. The, the danger in saying, well, I lost my job. And since then I've been working to apply to business school. So prepping for the tests and writing the essays, et cetera. Um, the danger there is that, remember, most people applying to business school are juggling a full-time job while doing it. And so it doesn't always look good if you're sort of like, well, I took time off to do this. So, um, when everyone else is juggling it. So I, I think, um, as you say, it would behoove them to demonstrate that they've been doing something. And and for all we know, maybe they have, like maybe they are doing some volunteer work or they're, I don't know, training to run a yeah. marathon or do, doing something that just shows that they're active and that they're not sitting on their couch, right? So um, I will say, given that they're 33 and given that the GPA is not jumping off the charts or anything, that, yeah, the test score is going to be probably pretty important. Um, I'd love for them to, you know, aim for somewhere around the average at these target schools they have on their list, which we're probably talking, you know, at least 720, 730, Um, it would be great. Now they are from Chile, where the test scores may run a bit lower historically, so they may have a little bit of wiggle room, but Certainly clearing the 700 barrier is going to be important, I think, for this candidate. Yeah. so um, in any event, really interesting background and you know hopefully they're um, you know making the most of this sort of time away from from the workplace and, and doing some other things too. I want to thank them for sharing their profile and wish them the best of luck as we move on here. But let's talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So our third candidate this week, is again looking to start school in the fall of 24. Uh, this person has uh, Tepper, Johnson, Fuqua, Ross, Kellogg, Chicago Booth, and UNC on their target list. Uh, they have been working as a in kind of program management um, from an engineering. I guess they did some engineering work, or maybe it's a, a marriage of the two. We'll learn more in a moment. Uh, they want to get into consulting after business school. Their GRE score is a 326 and their GPA is a 3.8. Uh, this person has seven years of work experience. They're located in Chicago and they did their undergraduate in electrical engineering Then started their career at a very large uh, Fortune 100 aerospace and defense contractor working in engineering and moved from engineering into project management. So that's where the um, marriage of those two uh, occurred. So they've, you know, typical sort of trajectory here where you start as an engineer and move um, to gain greater responsibility. Um, After five years, they left that role uh, as a project manager to join a digital manufacturing software startup as a program manager. And they plan to stay there for a bit um, and and, and move into like a consulting role in, in that same space or maybe go to business school. Lo and behold, the startup went bankrupt last year and they had to quickly find a new job because they were getting married and wanted some income, obviously. So they mentioned they kind of had to do some networking and they landed at a satellite operator in their aerospace and aviation business unit, again, as a program manager. Um, They have a nice salary. um, So they're, you know, enjoying that, but they mentioned that they ultimately don't really love what they're doing and so they can't see themselves staying for long. And that's why they're now turning towards this plan of applying to business school. So it's a long story here that they get into, but what it comes down to is they're trying to figure out whether they should go part time in the Chicago area, so like looking at Kellogg and Booth as kind of part time program options, or whether they should, as they say, bite the bullet, forego my salary, and apply to full time programs. And that's where those programs like Ross, Fuqua, Johnson, and Tepper and UNC are, are listed here. So they're kind of wondering what they should do. They want our feedback. They mentioned that they currently make up to 160k a year because they have, a, um, they have some bonus dollars that come into play. And so they're sort of wondering, you know, is it worth it to go full-time when they're making that much money and when schools like Kellogg and Booth offer part-time with on-campus recruiting? Um, so, so what do you make of this candidate, Alex?
1: You didn't mention they play in a local band.
0: Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, they play in a band. Yeah, they. they have, <laughs> I
1: thought you'd be well on that. <laughs> sorry.
0: I, yeah, no. They play in a band. They're also they play also on a men's uh, ice hockey team, and they volunteer at their church. So they they tick a lot of boxes, but. It's an interesting quandary, right? They're a bit older, yeah.
1: they they run a podcast for four years, Graham. You, you're missing it.: I know, sorry, here. yeah, there was a podcast too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, they should have told yeah. us what the podcast is. They do it with their brother. I wonder what it's about. Yeah. Well, anyway, they can maybe let
1: us know. <laughs> no, no, absolutely fantastic. I think this is a classic risk reward type sort of question, right? Yeah. Um, should I go part time, keep my salary? And in that case, risk not doing the career transition I really want to seek um but but not not foregoing any of my salary and the full-time program gives them greater access to do any kind of pivot that they want um but they then forego their salary um but quite frankly graham this profile smacks of being an, an m7 type candidate right yeah um, real quality through their work experience through their numbers they're a three eight electrical engineer i mean that's mad Mm-hmm. um I, I would I would even say maybe they, sh- they should retake that GRE and, and <laughs> boot it up to the 330s where it probably belongs. Yeah. but 326 is fairly decent, but the 38 electrical engineering, yeah. really strong work experience, and they've had, you know they could probably show a little bit of adversity going through the startup experience um, that then failed, got laid off, had to readjust real quick. Um, use their network to, to sort of um, get into a, a situation that, quite frankly, as an adcom, I wouldn't know the difference between that type of work and their previous type of work anyway. So <laughs> it just sounds like they, they're doing great, great things. Um, and, you know, again, they're in a band, they're a sports guy, they're ice hockey. So they must be from the US because if they were from Canada, they'd say hockey. I'm not sure why <laughs> they've got ice in front of it because... <laughs> You know that's one thing I learned when I lived up in Toronto for a while. Stop calling it ice hockey right um but um but yeah frankly graham um i i would well let let's put it this way the target programs they have on their list i would I would imagine they could be looking at full rides at some of these programs so that would mitigate some of that risk. Um, I also think they should be looking at some other programs in that M7. Um, obviously, our favorite program, Wharton, um, should be in the mix. Um, but, but you know, they should shoot for the stars, certainly in the second round, if they're, if they're not prepared to do that in the first round.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting scenario, right? Because on the one hand, I understand, you know, they're making really good money and they're basically saying, why would I, you know, why would I walk away from this big salary I'm making to go off and, you know, lose a whole bunch of money for a couple of years effectively. Um, at the same time, they want to make a fairly substantial pivot. Mm. You know, they want to, um, get into consulting and, you know, I, I think that's going to be a lot easier from a full-time, um, MBA experience. I also think that when they're like 50 and they look back on all of this, missing that opportunity to do a, have a full-time experience, um, it's just that I think they're going to regret that. Yeah. I really, I mean, it is—it's a formative experience. It's the friendships forged. It's a really different thing to go full time than part time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and and even for their spouse, like you know, all these top MBA programs have really amazing like um, partner clubs. Yeah. And there's a lot of you know, it's like you become part of a community, and I and so I, I would not overlook that. And I also agree with you that there's so much in this person's profile that screams M7. Yeah. Now, one thing I'd notice though, that was kind of interesting to me is that when you look at their target list, other than the two part-time things they're thinking about in Chicago, every other program is kind of small, intimate, um and in kind of a a college community, you know, so college town or a, you know, a very low kind of low-cost sort of city like Pittsburgh. Um you know, so I I wonder if some of that's in play here if they're looking for you know but but then you know they don't have Dartmouth on their list for some reason right, right. so it I'm, I'm trying to understand the list and you know I do agree though that it, it, you know I would probably apply to full-time for the the schools in Chicago if they don't mind staying in Chicago um, or if they're looking for you know a real different experience getting getting out of Chicago then yeah like you say Wharton even I wouldn't rule out Harvard uh, yeah it's just interesting it's it's hard i don't have all the data as to what's
1: driving this school selection um but yeah it's, it's you, you got to say they can be targeting harvard stanford wharton right right at the top so <laughs> yeah it's um You know, the programs they've listed, they're very good programs. They get a full ride at a couple of these programs, I would think. I mean, obviously, it all depends on really executing well on their um, applications. So there's no guarantees in this process. But there's so much to like about this profile, so much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, the fact that they, you know, they lost their job, right? But they quickly yes. pivoted and landed another and they're earning a lot of money. Like they're yeah. clearly someone that companies are, are you know, they're sought after they've had no trouble kind of finding new work. So yeah. And, and, you know, as you said, they, they run a podcast, they play in a band, they play ice hockey, like this is a, a well-rounded, um, you know, candidate. And so, yeah, I can't help but think that, you know, I mean, I don't know, there's, there's schools like MIT there. there, I mean, there are many other schools out there that they could be looking at and yeah, I encourage them to have some conversations with students. There are plenty of people going to business school who are making a lot of money before. And, you know, I I don't know that many of them say, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Um, So anyway, yeah, it's, it's an interesting quandary, but I lean towards go for it, top school, full-time, um, and don't look back. And I think that they and their partner have a great time.
1: Yeah. And, and don't try to make the ROI based on that first year coming out of the MBA. This is something that's going to shape the trajectory 10 years, 20 years post MBA. Right. So, right. Um,
0: yeah, exactly. Cause it'll be, yeah, they, they could make the argument. They are going to lose money yeah. and that it'll be many years that they'll be losing, you know, because they're going to um, to slow down by starting school. But you're right. It's not, it's not the, the initial. It's, it's 10 years from now when they're starting a company and trying to raise funds or, and have yeah. that amazing network because they've been in a full-time, close-knit sort of network. So in any event, um, that's our advice. Uh, obviously, we'll see. What, <laughs> I'd love to know what happens so if they can keep us posted.
1: And one, one final thing, and again, not to belabor this point, but doing a part-time MBA program isn't trivial, Right. right. So you're still at work. You're having to then commute to take classes or, or however that works. And they, they have a young family. Um, the And I'm not trying to put them off that part-time route, route necessarily, but that's a, it, it takes longer because you're doing it part-time. So you're yeah. going to be involved probably for about three years and it's going to be a lot, a lot of work. Um, over that that three year period, the the completion rates, or whatever you call them, for part time programs is generally Far lower, lower. Far right? Lower. Yeah. because it's just difficult. <laughs> yeah. So so um, I, I I think that this is such a quality profile that they need to go all in. Yeah,
0: agreed. So anyway, I wish them the best of luck and hopefully they'll keep us posted on how this all <laughs> turns out and what they decide. Uh, but thanks for picking these out, Alex. A lot of interesting kind of general lessons about ROI or about you know the need for quantitative chops as you enter business school and even you know which rounds. I mean, just a lot of classic um, things to discuss today. So appreciate your time on this. We'll do it all again in one week's time when I'll be back in Paris. Um, so I'll see you then.
1: Very good. Best luck, everyone. Stay safe.